Hello and welcome to the very first episode of uh, College Critique. Uh, I'm Alex Headley and joining me is Philip Gibson. Hi. Uh, so we're kind of putting together this little thing, uh, it's kind of a recreational thing and just to kind of talk about comics in general. Uh, I've been reading comics, um, gosh, pretty much my whole life. My dad's a huge fan, has a basement full of old Avengers comics. Um, and I've always been into uh, Batman ever since the animated series when I was a kid. What about you, Phil? How long have you been into uh, um, hobby? Let's see. I started reading with the Uncanny X-Men back in the early 90s, so those, a lot of people kind of think of those as the dark days. Because <laughs> I didn't actually read any of the Claremont stuff. I didn't read any any of that. I saw the series, like the original X-Men TV series, and... Kind of read all through the night. That had a lot of Claremont in it, though. It did, that, it did, but the series didn't, and I used to, like, think I was impressing my friends by knowing who Psylocke and Arctic Angel were because they weren't in the TV series. Um, that probably had a lot to do with me getting beat up as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, so I read, I read through most of the 90s. I kind of jumped ship when Onslaught came along because if, even as a kid, that was just not good. Um, and, you know, picked back up, I guess, six or so years ago, um, actually when I met Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is all your fault. Um, <laughs> and I've kind of been in and out reading ever since, um, really, but now that Marvel Now is coming along, which we'll talk about later, and I'm really excited about jumping back into it. Yeah, well, you're definitely a Marvel guy. Yeah, uh, I'm a little more of a DC guy. Um, the New 52 was the bigger jumping on point for me. I've been reading before then, but really just Batman, uh, Daredevil, and Marvel. Anything my dad picked up was a, pretty much everything Avengers related. Uh, and a couple other books here and there. A lot of Vertigo. Uh, I've really enjoyed the, the Vertigo stuff. Never really dropped that. I always read Rob the Last Man through high school and college. Sandman, stuff like that. But I didn't really get back into superhero comics until the New 52 hit. Uh, which, say what you will about it, hit or miss some of the titles. So the main ones I've been picking up, I've been very pleased with. And I'm interested to see where Marvel now goes. Right. Uh, kind of with a similar, similar but different yeah. approach. Yeah, we'll talk, we can talk a little bit more about that later, but... Um, it does seem like what Marvel is doing is taking a lot of this, we're relaunching, rebooting, and they're trying to put an edge on it, like where everything's new. <laughs> Every, the, the continuity is not right at all new. Yeah, it's, but, not, it's not as drastic as the new feature, too. But, but, the, but the titles are, are all new. Um, but, um, yeah, so I guess a good question to really get started with... Um, is what exactly is going to be the format of these shows? Well, I think uh, we, we, we've planned out a little bit of stuff, obviously, but we uh, haven't done a lot of this before, so we're kind of making it up as we go a little bit, too. Um, I think we're going to have a couple of segments each time. Today, we have um, a wrap-up of the uh, Avengers vs. X-Men, the event, kind of our thoughts on it and our, our uh, kind of interpretation of how things are going. Uh, and then we're going to move on from there. Yeah, and we'll do um, kind of a fun segment at the end of each podcast 
Uh, today we're going to try what's called an Avengers draft, and we'll explain that in this segment. But it's kind of a cool idea. You get to go with your friends, and you draft Avengers and come up with stories. And it seems like now that they're retooling the entire Marvel <laughs> universe, as good as any, a good time as any to just make up your own Avengers team. Marvel's doing it. One of twelve. Um, yeah. <laughs> Marvel's doing it. You might as well jump in. There's only twelve Avengers books yeah. right now. But before we jump into our reviews and previews segments, um, I guess we we should we should kind of just talk comics for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what what's what's your thing in comics? What what makes you pick up a number one and be like, ooh, I really want to read this? Yeah. Well, I, I gotta say that like I'm very much more a literature guy when it comes to comics than a visual guy. Like for yeah. me, the writing's gotta be. Good. The characterization has to be good. Um, the art, to me, doesn't necessarily make a comic, but it can break an otherwise good comic in half. So I think one of the problems that we both had with AVX was that some of Romita's work was just not right. It good. Was all it was, volume right. Much. It wasn't. It was out of proportion, but it was obviously not like out of proportion in a stylistic way. It was just not very. It was very sketchy. Yeah. Very so, fast. Right. And so for me, like, art can break a comic if it's bad or if it makes me stop thinking about what's going in the story, going on in the story. But for me, the, the characters have to be good. Like, I can stay with a really silly, ridiculous story for a long time. I mean, just look at Uncanny X-Force. <laughs> but well, it's, not, it's not silly until you spell it all out. It, it's not, but once you start talking about time travel and killing your future past and selves and spoilers, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers, you know, yeah, <laughs> killing apocalypse kids. I mean, the stories are, are crazy, but you know, when I, you know, one of the things I like about guys like Rick Remender and um, I guess another guy like this is Jason Aaron, is that they're just really able to write characters in a way that makes you interested and invested in what they're doing. Like, yeah. you know, one of the things that's actually pretty good about Wolverine and the X-Men, which I don't read regularly, but every once in a while I'll pick it up. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I like about that book is I actually care about stupid characters like Quentin Quire. Yeah. You know? Um, and the thing I really love about Uncanny X-Force is that Deadpool is a relatable character that you'd want to be okay with. You know, right, and, and so that for me, it's it it is all about getting me invested in the characters in in comic books. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much on the same boat, boat as you there. Um, I, I obviously have my favorite characters, but I'm willing to take a bet on something, take a gamble on a book if I trust the creators involved, right, or if I think the the hook is just really yeah. something different worth exploring. Uh, you know, I said I like a lot of Vertigo stuff. So I like superheroes as well, but the Vertigo stuff is just kind of, you know, you never know what's going to happen. The storyteller has complete and free reign over what they're doing. It's probably their, even their creation, whereas you can do crazy stuff there um, that you can't do with Batman right. or Superman. Right. Superman can't die every week. Right. <laughs> you know, right. He can't stay dead. Uh, you know, there's not as much risk. There's some stuff that you know... Those characters in super mainstream superhero comics cannot, will yeah. not do. So the books like Vertigo or Image has really uh, got a lot of cool stuff going on right now. 
Um, that kind of stuff is was really what got me back into comics. Yeah. Uh, and seeing those those <coughs> creators and some of those ideas make it that way back in the mainstream comics yeah. has been big. Scott like, Snyder. Yeah. Um, you know, he's done American Vampire, and now he's moved into Swamp Thing and Batman. Uh, and he's really brought a a sense of mystery back to to it. You know, you know, you you don't think Batman's going to die. You don't think the Joker's going to kill yeah, him here and they, death of the they, family. They did that already, right? You know, but and that was great and all. You also don't think anybody else is safe. You know, go, and with uh, the Joker event coming up, death of the family. I'm not sure who's going to make it out. Right. It could be nobody dies. As a mainstream comic, they want to use the Gordons over again. They want to use whoever and whatever. But Snyder works it in and actually keeps that level of suspense that you don't always find. Right. And I think that's that's really... I kind of of share (laughs) that sentiment that I really like the image stuff and the vertigo stuff that allows for more creative freedom. Like, I'm a huge... Jonathan Hickman fan. Yeah, Hickman's great. Um, and his stuff on Fantastic Four is really good, but if you aren't reading Manhattan Projects right now, you need to run out and buy it. Yeah. It's my favorite book that is on the market right now. It's just, it is historical fiction sci-fi in comic book form. Seriously, go out and buy this book. It's, it's You won't regret it. It's <laughs> a free ad, uh, Hickman. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think You're that's welcome. something, you know, Something I like to do and I want to do with this podcast is be able to like expose readers who might be afraid to tread into the image or you know, not Marvel DC waters. Right. You know, to some some things by creators they know that um can be are really good. Another example is Brian Vaughn's saga. We both read that this yeah, weekend. That's awesome. And it's it's incredible. Um and Brian Kivon's got an excellent track record anyway. Yeah. So uh, seeing him come back. He hasn't been in comics in a while. I think he did um, Why the Last Man. He finished that up. He did Runaways of Marvel. And, well, that was... And then the last thing he did before he kind of took a hiatus was uh, Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Uh, which is a kind of political superhero thriller. Yeah. It was really cool. And then Saga's back now. Yeah. So how... But, you know, one of the things we both really like about those kind of comic books is that you don't know what's going to happen. There's not like a set of boundaries that says, thou shalt not kill Peter Parker. <laughs> Although, he's not going to... Oh, he's not going to. I mean... He's got know, there's too many, there's too many movies with Peter right. Parker's name on it. For Peter Parker but there's, there's not as much editorial control over those things. So what works in mainstream comics? Like, what makes... A, what makes an ongoing superhero comic work? Uh, well, I mean, I like to see... Obviously, most of these characters have been around 50-plus years, 75 years. For, I mean, these guys have been around forever. So anything... It takes a really talented creator to find something that both sticks to the core of that character. I don't want to read a, read a comic where Batman suddenly carries guns just to mix things up and surprise the reader. Batman doesn't use guns. That's that's a core rule that can't be broken in mainstream comics. That if it was, I would not be happy with. It. Did he use Did he use guns in uh, the Dark Knight Returns? With Frank Miller? Yeah. He had like a grappling hook gun. Does that count? That nah, ain't. Okay. I, I like Frank Miller as much as the next guy, but Frank Miller is by no means my favorite creator. Okay. Um, year one was much better than Dark Knight Returns, in my opinion, anyway. 
Oh, man. That's going to get you in trouble with some people. You're once... They're better... You know, it's the definitive origin story. That's true. It is the definitive... Although, I don't know if that has as much to do with Frank Miller as it does um, Christopher Nolan. Well, that he helped a lot, but... I, I read your one way before Batman Begins came out. Yeah. I was already a fan. Um, great movie, though. Uh, you threw me off there, so... That's fine. <laughs> so remember, we're talking um, about what works in mainstream comics. What makes it... Yeah, so you want to find something that's true to the core of that character. You know, it's that Batman can't carry guns. Superman can't suddenly start killing people. But also different. You know, um, or a new format for them. Uh, Grant Morrison is a great example. He, his all-star Superman run, very different for Superman. You know, he's not fighting Doomsday. He's not, well, he does fight Doomsday, but it's Jimmy Olsen Doomsday. Um, and it's just, it's these wacky concepts that you take and you warp and you keep, put that character in that situation. So, and I won't give away too much on all-star Superman in case anybody hasn't read it, read it yet. If you haven't, you know, go read it. Um... And that story, he really just cuts to the core of Superman, but still does something we haven't seen before. You know, and that, there's a definitive end to that story. Yeah. That's why it's out of continuity, um, which I guess makes it not mainstream. But even in Action Comics in the New 52, Grant Morrison is doing different stuff. And the New 52 kind of allows creators to do that. Yeah. Which is why I generally think it was a good thing. Yeah. That said, there are flaws, but... Yeah, I mean... I, I so what about for you? I'm babbling here. For me, um... Gosh, what 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 is worth my three yeah, or four dollars, <laughs> depending on, you know? Well, a lot of it, I'll buy a comic based on creator name a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, at least the first couple of issues. Sometimes it does not work out. Some guys just are not meant to write some comics. Um, a good example of this, I mean, Brian Dendis has his good points, but almost fifteen minutes in. I know, but he doesn't need to write every single Avengers book ever. Right. You know, Matt Fraction is a great character writer, but I think I everybody can agree Fear Itself was a bad thing, <laughs> just in general. It was just not a good event. Um, so for me, like, a couple of things have to come, in to get, come together for me to, like, stay, stay with a superhero comic. Like, I do have to buy that this is the same character that I right. grew up with. I mean, Wolverine gets just hammered with different characterizations depending on who's writing them <laughs> and whether they need him to be the mentor, father figure, berserker, you know, team maverick or team lead. You know, he has like a thousand different faces right, and yeah. they're all different Wolverines. And he's all over the place. Right. I mean, and even, you know, outside of continuity, there's a Wolverine in every book. Age of Apocalypse, Wolverine <laughs> is Apocalypse. Right. You know, and in Extreme X-Men, which we just don't buy it. I mean, <laughs> Greg Pak's done some great work. This is not one of them. You know, but... I think some people have been enjoying it. It's... I read... I, mean, I haven't read it. I'm not a big Yeah, I read number one, and I was not impressed. I picked up number four, and it was marginally better. I think if I was more in a place where I just wanted to read fun comic books, just something that was just fun and ridiculous, I'd probably pick it up. Because the whole premise is just, you know, the same as the... the um, Exiles, yeah. a couple of years, and some people that are pulled from different sets of X Men continuity, and they travel around writing wrongs and killing Xavier's. <laughs> um, I mean, so it's fun, but it's 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 not worth my three bucks. Yeah, you know. Uh, on the flip side, uh, and speaking of just fun comics, I've been really enjoying the Defenders run, Matt Fraction's right. run, and it's Defenders. over. It's, it's ending. ending. Yeah, I got one it's issue ending. left. 
But it's kind of goofy. You know, yeah. it didn't tie into ADX. It's one of the few books yeah. that didn't. Um, you know, it's a, a bunch of quirkier characters. I'd say Doctor Strange is the most popular yeah. one in the cast. Uh, him or Silver Surfer. Yeah. But I think I think a really be successful in my eyes to comment and Defender's a good example of this, you know. It you have to pick a concept mm-hmm. and the whole book has to be built around doing that concept without pushing it so far out of the top you're like, Okay, we get it. Phoenix Force bad. <laughs> you know. And I think that's one of the reasons the Uncanny X Force is like my favorite Marvel book in the world right now, because Reminder has had a very obvious arc that has run through every book in that series. He's picked characterizations that are not out of line with who those characters have been, but they're not boxed in either. Um, well, there's also a sense of progress. There is a sense of progress. Right. He's picking up these characters, and they're not suddenly somebody different than they, who they were, but they grow. Right. You know, Phantom X was a great pick for this book, because... Yeah, you know, he had nowhere you know, to go. Grant Morrison like invented him, and then nobody else wanted to touch him. Right. But you know, this character really develops over the course of the twenty or so um, books that he's in. In that, for Psylocke, you know, is as Not multi-dimensional a, a character as you'll find in that book. But it, none of it, it all makes sense given her personal biography as somebody who's experienced a lot of crazy, weird tragedy. I mean, she grew up as the little sister of. Captain Britain with some mutant powers that weren't really all that impressive. Yeah. And then, you know, she got her whole self <laughs> transmitted into some Japanese assassin chick's body and sent back. And then she died and came back. And then, you know, all kind. Of, I mean, and then she had to, she's had to go through all kinds of stuff. She was with Archangel. She wasn't with Archangel. She was with Archangel. She Safe to say, Archangel. you're a Psylocke fan. I, well, just based <laughs> on the Uncanny X Force, I really like that character. Same with Wolverine. It's one of the few books where Wolverine is actually now. I have well to written. say, reading Uncanny X Force, I've been I've been reading your copies. I traditionally am not an X Men guy, mostly because I don't like Wolverine and I don't like Deadpool. I really have never ha- had much right. love for either of those characters. Reminder makes me like them. Right. They both work. And I think it's because one of the reasons Wolverine works is he's taking all the different parts of Wolverine that are present in the other books, and he's put them at tension with each other mm-hmm. in this book. And that's not only a good plot device, that makes sense for his character. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's struggling with being the headmaster of a school and being a killer and being a Avenger. Yeah. And it's actually <clears throat> in the book. Um, and the same with Deadpool. Like, everybody writes Deadpool the same way. He just is a mile a minute bunch. He's a re- never-ending stream of sarcastic remarks. And fart jokes. And fart jokes. <laughs> and stupidity. And Remeter doesn't get rid of all of that, but he throws in the, hey, I'm a real character who, you know, I'm just messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It works in, in the context of the book. And it works. Like, and, um... I mean, beyond that, you know, the story arcs are really good, and everything goes in circles. Stuff that happens in a in one book is going to become is going to come back later. And so, I don't know that that's that's the kind of book that really works for me. It's just you know you have to have story arcs that play on devices really well. You have to have characters that I can buy into. Yeah. You know those characters can't be so radically different than the way they are in, in other books that I just 
can't buy it. Can't buy it. Yeah. You know. And then, but you have to take them somewhere. The character has to be progressed as a result of what this author is doing. Which is also the pro- a, a big problem for mainstream superhero comic books because you know. In a few years from now, they're going to undo Uncanny X Force in some capacity. No, they're not. They're not. It's, it's not just like, all, all, it's the, it, and even if they don't, it feels like a lot of times stories stop mattering after about a decade. Well, and they, sh- and they probably should. And, and that's okay. And that, you know, it's a double edged sword. That, as without that, we wouldn't get some great stories. Right. If every single thing counted ever, yeah. you know, Batman would be wearing a pink costume on Tuesday nights or something. Right. Because of something wacky he did in the Silver Age. Right. So it's a you got to pick and choose what works. I think sliding into our discussion on Marvel now here, I think that's the approach they're taking. Is kind of picking and choosing, kind of like the New Fifty Two did with their continuity, what they're wanting these characters to represent, right. and what they're going to kind of let fall by the wayside. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to talk about our predictions on Marvel now and what we're interested in picking up, and what we're probably passing on for the moment. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to do a wrap-up on ABX, talk about how we thought it worked, um, and then we'll see you on the other side of the break. Absolutely. Alright, so here is our breakdown, uh, kind of review and uh, discussion about AVX. Uh, it wrapped up this month with number 12. Uh, so, Phil, what, what did you think? Um, well, first of all, I mean, I think we kind of had to frame any discussion on AVX on what Marvel was trying to do with this event. Um, this is probably the first event in a couple of years that has really had to define, we need this outcome because we are... This is going to be the status quo of our universe going forward. All right. I kind of feel like all the Marvel events do that. It seems like every every year Marvel event comes along and it pushes them into the next thing. Siege pushes them to the heroic age. Before that, Secret Invasion was pushing us into dark uh, dark reign. Civil War kind of put us into the initiative. Uh, yeah. I feel like all the events have really tight editorial control and really know where they're going with it. They t- I mean, that may be true, but what what I think is different about ABX is that you're not just talking about a different status quo, as in who's on what side and who's in charge of what and all of that sort of thing. We're now back, essentially, into a different version of the status quo we had before House of M happened. Um, well, yeah, obviously, the, the biggest thing that ABX does is uh, reverse the Scarlet Witch's statement about all the way back at House of M, of no more mutants. Well, it doesn't exactly reverse it, though, because um, I think Bradbord's confirmed, or somebody's confirmed, that um, mutants who were depowered are not getting repowered. Mm. This is just a brand new re-kickstarting of the whole, of the whole mutant um, race. Gotcha. Oh, we should probably say this is going to be totally full of spoilers. Yeah, but by the time, but by the time people listen to this, I'm sure they're already Okay, well, I mean, yeah, just still. <laughs> In the interest of not pissing off anybody who might listen to this. And so there you go. Two minutes in, there's our spoiler warning for the stuff yeah. that I already said. Sorry. Guess what? Mutants are back. <laughs> um, but no, actually, I thought the event was fairly successful. Um, I, I actually overall liked the story arc as a whole. 
Um, I thought that there were probably some things in the execution of the individual issues could have been done a little bit better. Um, I'm not sure 12 issues was really necessary for no, this story. If, if, if there is one single thing I can complain about with AVX, it's, it's that it was 12 issues. Right. I feel like it could have cut it. Being dramatic, they probably could have cut it in half if they really wanted to. That would have been condensed too much. Nine issues would have been really good. Right. Because you got to, I mean, because you basically have three movements in the story. Yeah. You need, so you got three acts, and it felt like there were a lot of lulls in a couple of issues, and then a lot of things happening at once. Right. Yeah, for, for a 12-issue arc, it should not have felt crammed. Mm-hmm. Ever. <laughs> it should have had a lot of breathing room, and, and it did not. It it didn't, but then it had a couple of issues where, like, I think my, the, probably the biggest culprit for of this to me was issues seven and eight, where they basically set up the turning point where the Phoenix Five go from being benevolent and good to neighbors, Namor, neighbors, neighbors, to uh, Namor is flooding Wakanda and trying to wage a one man war against the entire world. Right. Um. And they probably could have condensed that tipping point um, into one issue. Probably, yeah. I mean, it was interesting to see, you know, the guys that we knew were going to be bad guys doing something good. And the question wasn't when they would go bad, but how. And I thought the how was very well done. Namor, obviously, the loose cannon there. Right. Um, It seemed like Namor really wanted to wage war on... Everybody who wasn't a mutant or Atlantean from the get-go, right. essentially saying, okay, Cyclops, you have your fun, we're just good guys and everybody can be happy, you know, have that little moment for, for a little bit, yeah. and then Emma puts them over the, the edge. Yeah, so I'm not sure, I haven't been reading Uncanny, because I'm not, I'm not a fan of an event taking over every book and right. everything becoming a tie-in all of a sudden. I know in Uncanny that Namor and Emma were kind of flirting and kind of had this this secret almost romance going oh, on. Oh, they're totally going, getting it. It's totally going on behind Cyclops' back. All right, so it just went full-blown. I mean, they you know, they tell you everything that you need to know in issue 7 where they actually kiss. Yeah, well, I, so, I, I didn't mean, know how much of that we could lay blame at the Phoenix and how much of that was well, that's happening gonna be a, beforehand. Yeah, well, that's going to be a problem with interpreting, I think, any of these events, is that you can pretty much write off any negative character action committed by the Phoenix Five as well. Which happens a lot in comics. Like, oh, the bad guy gets mind warped. Oh, it's not your fault. You weren't in control. That happens all the time. That's why the Hulk is, you know, still around. Um, But but this didn't happen here. It didn't happen here at all. Cyclops is in a big, giant prism, (laughs) prison, and uh, the other five, including Magneto, who actually kind of tried to do the right thing, all wanted criminals. Right. It's kind of a reverse of what you thought you would right. say. Oh, it's not your fault, guys. We're so sorry the Phoenix took over. Right. Instead, it's it's a hard right. it's a hard crackdown. And people, I think, are responding very negatively to Cap's portrayal in this series. Oh yeah, no, I haven't been crazy because he that. doesn't really have a uh, as he doesn't really have a Phoenix effect to fall back on for why he's acting like a douchebag at various right. points in the series. And and I understand, and this is actually one of my critiques of the critique of ABX, is that, um, you know, people really want Cap to be a good guy all the time and do the right thing all the time. And in this series, I think we see a Cap who is very overwhelmed by the idea that Phoenix could destroy everything. 
And so he's very no, no holds bar. I'm going to do this my way. We've got a threat that we have to take out. You're right. Or I'm sorry, I'm right, you're wrong. And <laughs> I still feel like Cap and Cyclops both, and this is my problem with the early issues, uh, you know, Cap shows up and basically says, hey, dude, we're going to kidnap your niece. I know, you know, you've been training her for this your whole time, and she's like your mutant Jesus or whatever. Right. But, you know, I've got this army up here floating in the sky. Right. We're just going to go ahead and take her. Right. How about you five mutants right. that are the only ones on Utopia, apparently? Right. Just step aside and let me do that. Right. Well, I mean, and, you know, and at this point, like, that, that, like, at the even point, Nick Fury's yeah. a little more subtle. Right. <laughs> but at that point in the story, like, I was firmly on the X-Men side of this equation. Yeah. Up till Namor flooding Wakanda. Well, they weren't really X-Men at that point. Right. But I like, was, the yeah. X-Men kind of stopped being in this series about issue five. Yeah. They made appearances, you know, in the fight sequences and in the AVX right. versus series. Uh, but really, it was just the Phoenix Five after issue right. what, Which, five or six. To be fair, if you've been reading Uncanny X-Men, those are the X-Men. Those are the those big flash of X-Men, but you know, they had the, the, the twisty word balloons to just make sure you knew this wasn't just the X-Men. Right, uh, yeah. And, but, um, Cause when you have twisty word balloons, you know something bad. You know, I mean, I think, I think one thing AVX did successfully make me realize was that in the history of mutants and the rest of the Marvel Universe, the rest of the Marvel Universe tends to make mutants deal with their own problems until they affect everybody else. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, the li- you little kids have obviously not been able to handle your own problems, and now the big kids are going to have to clean up after your mess. You yeah. know? And so it's I almost like the Avengers knew they had a uh, big, giant, super hit movie. And knew they could just boss everybody else. Right. We made more money than the X-Men right. franchise. Suck right. It. It's like, I know that, you know, you had the whole decimation thing happen, and, <laughs> you know, your race is dying out, and, you know, you, you've, you've ended up basically on a, you know, a <laughs> little reserve in an island, and, and <laughs> you know, but uh, we were happy to just let you deal with your own problems, but now this whole Phoenix thing could actually kind of affect the rest of us, so hand over the bitch. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's basically what Cap is doing yeah. here, and I think it's because, I think, I don't know if Cap would actually be like this based on his characterizations, but I think the point the authors are trying to make is that Cap is very oblivious coming into the series of the unique plight of mutants. Yeah, which I think is uh, something you finally get a little bit of, uh, not even in AVX-12, but in the previews we've seen for Uncanny Adventures, feel a lo- little more like that's in character. Right. Here, when he's questioning Cyclops at the end in his little Ruby Quit, Ruby, I can't say that. Ruby Quartz Prison? Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, which is a neat little visual. He he just seems kind of petty. He even walks in there with his mug, with his, right. with his symbol. Like, I'm Captain, it's like America. Captain America mug. Yeah. And he just kind of gives him the rundown. And not only that, he has Wolverine standing in the corner all shadowy, yeah. just in case. He's like, hey, and in the end, he's like, hey, Wolverine, do you have any other things we can say to make Cyclops feel even worse about <laughs> what he's done? Can, can you step in here and just beat him, beat the guy up some more? I mean, and he's like, yeah, I want to go give the eulogy for your father that you killed. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well stab him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to feel sorry for Cyclops too much. I mean, because he did, you know, kill Professor X and, you know, become Dark Penis and almost destroy the world. But... 
you know, at the same time, he's kind of been the only person who's consistently advocated for mutants yeah. for the past decade. Yeah, because Xavier just kind of walked away. I actually, before AVX, I was not sure Xavier was alive, to be honest right. with you. So and his part, death really didn't have a lot of impact. Right, and part of that is because the X-Men universe has been so self-contained for so long. Yeah. Unless you are an X-Men person and just read X-Books, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, very true. Um, and I think, hopefully, that's something that AB, ABX and Marvel now are trying to correct is, okay, mutants are now just part of the greater superhero. Yeah. Oh, and it certainly seems that way. Hickman's got Sunspot and uh, Cannonball. Cannonball and the Avengers line up. Probably more. Yeah. Uh, we've got the Uncanny Avengers, obviously, with Havoc and Scarlet yeah. Witch. Over half of the mutants. Over half of the team thus far in Uncanny yeah. Avengers are mutants. Of course, some of them are already Avengers, too, so it's cheating a bit, but, you know. Uh, and then we got that A plus X book yeah. down the pipe. Which I'm not really looking forward to. I've never been a big fan of, like, hey, one time team up stories books. I, I enjoyed mean, the Brave and the Bold yeah. DC. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't read the whole series. Just picked up ones that had characters I cared about on. Okay. <laughs> but going back to AVX, I mean, um, obviously Alex and I have had a couple of different opinions on this book. Um, so I just want to get your take, Alex, on <laughs> what worked in this series, what didn't work, and overall, plus or minus. All right. Well, what worked is, is a shorter list for me. I'm not, I have not been the biggest fan of AVX. Um, I did really like um, the art once Koipel and Kubert took over. Yeah. Not a big fan of Ramita. Um, it's a little too sketchy, a little too quick, um, and almost off the cuff for me. Uh, but Koipel and Kubert really did a good job framing the story. Uh, all their all their action scenes feel very actiony. There's lots of fire. The lighting is very dynamic. Um, you know, people look imposing. Yeah, and people look desperate, and, and I thought both of those were very good. Um, once we hit issue six, I enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, I think issue nine was probably my favorite with Spider-Man up against uh, Colossus and Magic. <clears throat> Not even a very big Spider-Man fan, but it was way more focused. Yeah, it was almost like a tie-in. It's like this is happening yeah. across the world. Here's how one character is dealing with it. Yeah. Uh, which I very much enjoyed. <clears throat> and that issue also really hits... Uh, who wrote that one? I don't remember. That's Aaron. That's, That's Jason, Jason Aaron. Aaron. So I, I like Jason Aaron. Yeah. That one also really hits home very well and how subtly some of the Phoenix Five are being warped. You right. know, Colossus is like, I thought the whales would be happy with legs. Oh, wait, whales can't be... Yeah, since when is Colossus just really <laughs> a dumb oaf? Well, I, I, he came off as kind of dumb there. I think it was meant more supposed to be oh my god, this guy can do literally whatever the hell, hell he wants on a whim. It's like saying, you know what, I think I would like a sandwich with bacon and fat bacon and like deep fry it all and then put caramel on it. And because you can think of it, it's just immediately there. Right. And then you bite it and it's an awful, 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 right. heinous crime to God. <laughs> um, so it's almost like he was just thinking, you know, he's an artist or whatever, and he's like, I wonder what whales will like with legs. And bam! Every well in the universe has legs and dies. Yeah. It, it, he has so much power, literally anything he thinks comes to light. And he has no control over it whatsoever. None of these guys are prepared. Right. 
Which is a fine reason for them to go all Dark Phoenix, destroy the world after they remade the world and make it Utopia. I thought that was fine. It's predictable, but fine. Um, so I'm rambling a bit here. I'm going to go ahead and get to what really didn't work for me. Okay. Um, I just, 12 issues was way too much for me. Uh, and 12 issues with tie-ins in every major book and AVX versus series, which is actually kind of fun with their fun facts and their silly little captions and the thing beating Namor under the water <laughs> and Magneto managing to lose to Iron Man. Um, so that was a fun series. Uh, I did like that Nova got a crack in there uh, at the beginning and end. Um, I'm, I'm still confused about where this Nova came from. I want Richard Ryder back, but I'm happy to see any Nova. Yeah, uh, big fan of that series. So that was that was a good takeaway. I'm just be saying things I didn't like. Um, the whole thing, even though it was twelve issues, it just felt it still felt kind of rushed. Like it didn't have the breathing room I quite would have liked. Uh, we got a couple issues of, of action figures posing and punching and punching away, um, and everybody was a little out of character. Everybody was a little too quick on the hair trigger. You know, Cap shows up and wants to kidnap Cyclops' niece. None of the other Avengers think this is a bad idea whatsoever. I think Black Panther says something about, maybe we should reconsider this at some point. Like, slaps Tony Stark in the face or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's, he's running, Cap's running the world, and nobody kind of stands up to him and says, hey, man, we should back off a little bit. On the same side, Cyclops just straight up shoots the guy. <laughs> like... Both of them are, are like tactical geniuses that are super leaders of their team, and neither of them are really living up to that reputation in this book. Um, after a certain period, you know, Cyclops has, a, has an excuse. He's, he's possessed by the big giant evil dude. Cap doesn't have an excuse. Thing. Cap doesn't really have an excuse. Yeah. And it turns out, of course, that Cyclops is kind of right. The Phoenix Force does kind of reignite the mutant. Right. And Cap's completely unapologetic. But what's really interesting about that to me, this is actually one of my things that does work about the series, is that had Hope gotten the Phoenix before all of this other crap happened, and before she saw how bad it could go when just people held on to the power, and kind of been in the middle of all this thing, you know, who's to say she would not have gone Dark Phoenix herself? And that, I think, you know, know, I have a dual critique and uh, something I liked about it here. I thought Hope took back seat way too long after, what, issue three? Yeah. Yeah, she kind of did stuff, but she didn't really do stuff. Right. She was kind of um, like, here, go go carry buckets and Kung Loon and yeah. Spider-Man. And, well, and, go, and we're going to put you on the moon, but you're, oh, surprise, you're not getting the Phoenix Force. Right. You know? Uh, and then she just kind of took back seat for a while, but I felt like 12 was really Hope's book, and she really got her chance to shine. Yeah. And finally kind of fulfilled that character arc. Right. Being the only one to ever willingly give up the Phoenix Force, ever, is a pretty big thing. Right. You know, I always thought the label Mutant Messiah was kind of silly, and it involved Cable and time But travel. she kind of lives up to it. But she kind of lived up to it, yeah. Here, and I really like that. I still think it's weird that she's like Phoenix Iron Fist, Phoenix Fist, or Iron Phoenix, or whatever. But I like Iron Fist, so I'm happy to see him become a little more important in the story. Um, even if the Scarlet Witch versus the Chaos Magic versus the Phoenix Force and this endless cycle of order and chaos was a little silly. When it comes out, it's coming from... But you, when you read it in the 12, you're like, this is weird. 
And then you realize it's Iron Man trying to figure out what this thing called faith is, and he has no right. idea what it is. He has no idea what it is. <laughs> How to phrase this at all. I mean, so it's the first time Iron Man just sounds stupid, and Jason Aaron makes him sound stupid. It's like, and the Phoenix is like all, screw that, <laughs> mutants. And I really I mean, liked, at first I was like, this Iron really Man sounds like an idiot here. That's like, weird. He and then probably I was like, did sound like an idiot. But then I said to myself, Iron Man sounds like an idiot here. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, I actually, I thought issue 12 was a very well-written issue. Um, I think, I've seen, looking at reviews on the internet, there have been very, very mixed reactions. Um, but I thought that Aaron's writing was pretty good. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit harder to digest for older readers because he does just throw the cheese all over the place. Like, I mean, it's just cheese, cheese. Something a little more uncanny. I mean, something a little more uncanny. No more Phoenix, you know. But, I mean, he does a good job of of getting you up to speed on what all is happening. Why is this important? And then gives Hope her moment. And now Hope's a character I want to read about more. Yeah, definitely. She's actually a character. To me, that's the biggest plus out of ABX is that there are Certain characters like Hope who have just not had a personality, and now they have a very, very well-defined personality, and I want to read them. Yeah, now she's a hero and not just some random, vaguely important plot device. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's kind of represents, I think, what a lot of the Marvel analysis that stuff is supposed to be about, which is this unity between mutants. And yeah. Non-mutants. I mean, she's like Iron Fist, Mimic, Phoenix chick. <laughs> yeah, she does. she's a little all over the place. Um, okay, so we, we've been talking about about the book for about twenty minutes. Overall, were you satisfied with with the event? Overall, yes, I was fairly satisfied with the event. Um, satisfied enough that I haven't really been reading Marvel stuff in a couple of years. Um, you know, I'd, I'd kind of gone away from, moved away from being interested in Marvel events, Fear itself, kind of just, just I actually, hearing, I actually the, didn't finish Fear just itself. hearing the concepts in Fear itself made me not want to read it anymore. Um, well, I had Power Rangers. Yeah, but, um, you know, ABX, if nothing else was interesting, um, it is going to spawn a whole new status quo for how mutants are are um, integrated in the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, we've got very, very different situations than we've ever had before. Cyclops is a bad guy. Yeah. Um, he's in prison. Seems like everybody... Some Marvel hero always turns out yeah. to be a bad guy for a little while after right. these big events. Right, but Cyclops, like... Cyclops isn't, hasn't even been, like, a major factor in the Marvel Universe before, and now he's, like, public enemy number one. The X-Men have certainly will certainly be the most exposed since the 90s. Yeah. They have not had the spotlight on them this much since before the movies came out. Right. I mean, even, you know, it's been Avengers, 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 Avengers. Right. And now it, it's got a little more balance to it. Right. Um, and so I think, I, I think I was very satisfied with it. Um, one of my biggest problems in Marvel has been that I'm a huge X-Men fan and I never really have been able to know what's going on with everybody just from reading the X books. And I think now um, you'll have a little bit more of uh, 
integration being uh, being a part of the larger um, scheme of things. So I, I was happy with the book. I'm what gonna you? I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with you a little bit. Overall, I was not very pleased with it. Uh, it has a lot to do with it. It was 12 issues, and it was very, very predictable. We've seen Marvel events before. The only thing that, that really was surprising at all was Xavier's death, and I didn't have a lot of, didn't really have a lot of impact on me. Right. You thought he was dead already. I really kind of did. So, I mean, I don't know if that says more about you or more about Marvel, but. I mean, I, I am, I am more of a DC guy anyway. Uh, even before the New 52, I was buying almost exclusively DC books and Daredevil, um, which is my favorite Marvel hero. Um, so I came into AVX knowing a little bit less than maybe some other people did, uh, with not even a very fond idea of the current Avengers franchise. I'm not, uh, I'm not a big Bendis fan. I think he's a fine writer, but I'm just not a huge fan of his style. Uh, I think he stretched a little too thin. Doing like eight books for Marvel, uh, but this kind of signals the end of his reign. He's kind of moving right. over. Well, he kind of had the beginning of his um, Avengers run with, you know, destroying the Avengers and starting and decimating the mutant population, and now essentially both of those things have been reversed. And yeah, he's kind of come full circle. Yep. Um, but anyway, I didn't enjoy it, enjoy it as much, um, just because it felt. From, from the press releases to the books to the way they were rolled out, it felt like another big giant event that's going to change everything forever, period, and we're going to have another one in six months. Right. And yeah. I don't know if that, if that's, that's a fault of the, the event itself or just the way things have rolled in the past. Right. It seems like ever since Civil War, we've had one to two to three events a year. Yeah. Every year. And it's just, a, it's a little exhausting having right. your status quo uplifted and hurled into this hole right. every time you finally kind of figure out where everybody is. Right. I mean, Fear itself changed the status quo, but it didn't really change yeah, the status quo. Yeah, Fear itself is the, the exception here, because they reversed everything in, like, two issues. Right. I mean, all it really did was make Steve Rogers officially Captain America again, and he yeah. already kind of... He already kind of sort of was. I mean, I I think, you know, what if Marvel's really smart, they'll let their universe run... For a little bit. Well, and I'm thinking that's probably what's going to happen with Marvel now, which I'm actually excited about. I'm actually going to be picking up several books, um, which, again, I'm a traditionally a DC fan. And I don't right. get a lot of Marvel books. I've been reading Defenders and Daredevil, uh, and that's it. Right. Um, so I'm actually really excited. I'm picking up the new Avengers stuff. I'm excited to read some of the X-Men stuff. Um, but... From all the interviews that we've read and all the stuff we've seen, it looks like it's going to be a return to villains doing big villainy things and right. heroes fighting villains right. instead of punching each other. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more when we actually break down uh, the Marvel Now um, event or movement, movement promotion. promotion. I don't know not reboot. It's not a reboot. Yeah, relaunch. But we'll, we'll break that down and we'll talk about um, all the books that are coming out, what we're actually picking up, what we're kind of steering clear of. and Absolutely. We'll make our, our kind of predictions about what's going to be happening in the next couple of months. Is that it? All right. Uh, well, I, that's about everything I, I wanted to say. We're right under the 30-minute uh, the mark here. <clears throat> Anything else you want to say to wrap it up? Uh, I, don't, I don't really have a whole lot. There's, a, there's been plenty of discussion out there on this event. I think people either like it or they really hate it. 
or they're kind of meh yeah, about I'm, it. I'm on the meh. And, um, you know, I think Breadboard probably put it best in an interview he, he did. Um, he said uh, that, you know, people are saying they like it or hate it, but they definitely bought it. Oh, yeah. So people were interested and very attached to this event, whether or not they reacted to it well. well. And I feel like that's the problem. You know, I complain about events, and I think a lot of people complain about events, but we still buy them. It's like, if you didn't, if you don't like the event, why are you buying it? And part of that is you feel a little strong-armed into it. If you don't read this, you're not going to know what's going on. Right. Because for all the fun we make, fun, for all the fun I poke at it for not changing things, they really do change things. They do. And especially this one more than anything. Once they said Marvel Now is happening, I think AVX sales probably jumped up. Uh, that's, that, yeah, probably. Because it was a lot like Flashpoint in that regard. You know, once we knew DC was rebooting and we knew it was coming, we knew right. Flashpoint was the event for it. And it suddenly became a lot more important. Right, which is funny because I didn't read Flashpoint and I had no problem jumping into New 52. And and I, I think the New 52 was New 52 was designed where you didn't have to. Yeah. Which I think was a strength of it. But people who are already picking stuff up, yeah, probably decided yeah. not to forego the last issue of Flashpoint right. and picked it up instead. So end of the day, ABX essentially does its job for Marvel, which is make them a ton of money <laughs> and get people really attached to reading whatever's coming next from them. Absolutely. I think all of their events in that regard have been very successful. All right. All right. Anything else? I think we're good. All right. Thanks for listening. All right, so that was our, our thoughts on uh, ABX. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, overall, pretty pleased with it as far as Marvel events. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, it did not fail. <laughs> I think that was kind of our consensus. Yeah, it did not fail, and it made Marvel some money. And oh yeah, it's set up. It has not failed at setting up Marvel now too. Yeah. And even though I was a little harsh on it, a little more harsh than Phil. I'm legitimately excited about what's coming out of it, and that's Marvel now. Yeah. And so without further ado, we're going to hop right into the previews. we got the Marvel preview right in front of us. And we're going to start with our take on Matt Fraction's Fantastic Four and FF, and we're going to treat those two together. More it's, kind of a, it's, well, it's kind of a family of books. that you know They did this... I, mean, I keep referencing it because it feels so similar. They did this with the New 52. You had the Justice League family... Right. And the Batman family. You have the families of books. So there's a right. kind of Fantastic Four family of, right. of books here. And it's just two, but as you'll see later, some of the families are more extensive with Avengers uh, <laughs> in particular. Uh, so what do you think about uh, Fantastic Four? Um, you know, I, I think Fraction's got his work cut out for him just because Hickman's run on Fantastic Four has been so well received. Um, I think this... From what I've seen in the previews, it looks like this is just basically a return to, this is a family book about this, you know, the first family of Marvel. And they're going on big And they're space going on a big, big old space-time continuum vacation that goes wrong. And, you know, in the first previews, they have Sin Grimm trying to open up a T-Rex's mouth so the rest of them can get out. And, you know, it's, it seems like very classic... Fantastic Four type of stuff in a very non-classic setting to me. 
Okay. It also seems like it might be a plot device for him to get them out of the Marvel universe and do the, <laughs> and do the FF book and let the Avengers have Earth and let the uh, right. Fantastic Four go do other stuff. Right. So, what's your take on what's your take on Fantastic Four? Uh, you know, you kind of said it. Um, I will I will add that Mark Bagley is doing a, a good job here on the art uh, and the preview. You know, they look like themselves. The new costumes are good. They kind of a good mix yeah. between FF and the classic costumes. Um, and yeah, I'm perfectly cool with a, a fun, fun adventure book. Yeah. So what Fraction did on Defenders, and uh, I would love it if you did the same thing here yeah. in Fantastic Four. Yeah, and I think the space time thing works for doing what we were talking about with in mainstream books. You have to find a way to move characters forward and not getting, you know, bagged down by a yeah. Um, continuity, and so I think taking them kind of out of what's happening in the Marvel U proper, and putting them on their own little journey and works works for that. Yeah, and well, and it takes Reed Richards as a plot device away. <laughs> right. right, you can't just have the Reed Richards out thinks everyone solution to right. every problem, that's true. So, be, and this is what, you know, the, the Fantastic Four has been a little different lately, what with the Future Foundation and Spider-Man was a part of it. Uh, Human Torch was dead. Uh, I didn't read that, so I'm not really 100% sure what happened there. But it's back to the classic roster. Right. Going and doing classic Fantastic Four things, like fighting dinosaurs. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And um, then FF, I know Alex is really excited about this book. You know, I I just... Mike Allred is an interesting artist. It was kind of going back what you said earlier, is art could break the book. But here, I kind of think it makes it. Yeah. Um, the the preview focuses on Scott Lang Ant-Man, which is a character we haven't seen enough of, in my opinion. Um, and Mike Allred really just gives it a style that is very visually captivating. Uh, you got Ant-Man fighting, like, hair, my, hair lice in this woman's hair. Um, sounds like there's some um, interesting plots going on. Um, with what, Latveria and Doctor Doom, which is always an interesting. Yeah, villain. so there's like a little bit of a revenge plot going on because Doom killed Scott Lang's daughter. Right, and uh, Children's, Children's Crusade. Crusade, which we both still need to read. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll do a review on that at some point if we if we do. Um, <clears throat> but here, what really catches my attention is just the layouts and the art, and that really makes me want to pick it up right. almost on that level. It very much is, and you know, Allred said this that they are going for a Kirby book. Right, and they I'm, want this to yeah. look like Jack Kirby drew it with digital, you know. <laughs> I mean, and that's exactly what it looks like. I mean, and I wasn't really buying the premise of this book until I saw the artwork, and now I'm kind of at least thinking about picking up some of the trades when they come out. Yeah. Um, well, we got Scott Lang, we got She-Hulk, we, and we got Medusa, Medusa which is the character and this in the new humans. character. And then, is it a, I can't even tell. Her name is Ms. Thing. Ms. Thing. And I think she's like in a robot suit? She's going to be in a robot thing suit. I actually think that um, there's a character on the front, and I think that's her. Oh, with the pink hair. Yeah, yeah. who's walking around with what looks like Johnny Storm. Which so makes maybe sense. Because that was his pick. Maybe this like, is the Fantastic right. Four picks four people to right. kind of be, be on Earth in their stead while they're off in this time continuing things. So maybe this is another one of those Johnny Storm has a girlfriend, girlfriend somehow ends up being in the FF. <laughs> Which happens all the time. Which happens a lot. Scroll. Maybe she's not a scroll or <laughs> something this time. Um, so moving on, what's next? So next we got a book that neither one of us have really given a lot of attention to, but the new Iron Man book 
with um, Gillen writing. I can't. I don't know if it's Kyron Gian or I'm not sure. I don't know. It's if somehow, you know, Gillen Harrisus is offended <laughs> by our pronunciation, you can. <laughs> we apologize. You can email us and get and and uh, we'll get it right. <laughs> um, so what? What do you have any thoughts on this uh, book at all? I like Gillen. Uh, I enjoyed his work on Uncanny X-Men before ABX started. Uh, I like Iron Man as a character. Um, I enjoyed Matt Fraction's run on Invincible Iron Man. It was very fun. Uh, had a lot going on. And it was like you were saying with Hickman and Reminder, he had a thing, had a theme he wanted to do. It was kind of Iron Man dealing with his past and dealing with how his tech is used around the world. And he just went full force with it. Right. And had a very long, very successful run. Um, the art was pretty good. I'm not actually a huge fan of Greg Land. Um, but it's pretty but hard to screw up the Iron Man costume. I mean... And I'm not crazy about the black and gold, just because right. I like the red. But, um, you know, it's Iron Man. He can have a hundred different armors. Why right. Not? I mean, they went through the whole Silver Centurion phase. So, right. Um, you know, I mean, I actually like the look of this book. I think the coloring, very the coloring is very good. It is very clean. It's very photo-esque in a lot of places. What I don't like about it is that I'm sure it's going to be well-written because Gillen's writing it. Right. But we've heard this story before. <laughs> like, yeah. how many times... I mean, we've heard this story with extremists before, where Iron Man has some technologies that have gotten on the loose, and they're on the black market. Which, and really, it's exactly where Fraction started with right, the Five Nightmares. Right, that was exactly how I kind of was feeling when I'm reading this preview is, you know, is Gillen going to do something different here? Well, I also have read in interviews that he wants to do a bunch of one-shot stories. So I think by issue three, there can be like three new armors. And he had like a new space, deep space armor and this black and gold one here. And I really, if, if he follows through with that, a series of one-and-done Iron Man stories, I'm all for that. One-and-done stories are not done enough. Uh, I think they can be really fun, and I think they can really get new people into the book, and that's what Marvin now is trying to do. Right. It's just, But I think as an established reader, I've seen this song and dance before, and I'm not all that enthralled. With yeah, well, this one's going after people who are coming in after yeah, Avengers. Right. So yeah. if, if that's you, knock yourself out. Um, I think it will be a solid book. I, I, I may not pick it up, but I think it will be a very good book. Yeah. Who's um, your favorite? Do it. This is not my favorite. Um, <laughs> next preview is uh, Brian Bendis's All New X Men. Um, we have some conflict. We have gone back and forth about this book a ton in our conversations because, I mean, let's just talk through the premise here. So. <laughs> What what's the premise, Alex? So the all new X Men is spinning right out of um, AVX. With obviously, as you heard in our review, Cyclops is a war criminal after his Dark Phoenix stint. Um, and as Bendis pitched it uh, here on the front, here on the page, it's a blast from the past. The original five X Men: Xavier's five, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Angel, Beast, Iceman, are being brought into the present. Um, and they're going to kind of be interacting with the current X-Men and are kind of appalled at what they see. Yeah, so it's like the the reverse so, of days of future past. Right. Days of past, present. <laughs> so, in short, 
Original X-Men coming to the future and are incredibly disappointed right. in what they see. And Not an awful premise, actually. No, but when I first read it, I was like, I don't want to see different X-Men. I don't want to see... Well, this is called know, all new X-Men. Right. And it's and actually the all old X-Men. The old X-Men. And, um, so I wasn't terribly excited about the premise, but the more I'd seen of it, the more interested I'd been. I mean, in the previews, it ends with Beast from our time telling the past X-Men that they need to come to the future and stop Cyclops from committing mutiny. Yeah, so I thought, I thought there was going to be some kind of crazy whammy, 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 wow. That brought the old X to like cosmic accident. Kind yeah, of thing. brought the past X Men no. to the present, but actually Beast is going to the past right. and pointing at Cyclops right. and being like, "You screw up real bad here, man." So like basically, Beast is being um, the Marley to Cyclops' Scrooge <laughs> and bringing the ghost of X Men <laughs> past to haunt him. Is that is that basically yeah, that, where we're at? It seems like where we're going. Um, and amazingly enough, this is one of the ones I'm picking up. And what part of it's because I'm an X Men fanboy. Right. I always have been. So even if it's not great, it's an important part of what's going on in the X Men right now. And I want to at least know what's going on. Yeah. Well, we um, both have kind of a love hate with Bendis, but this is a fresh start right. for him. And 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 his track record has suggested that he tends to do really well when he gets his hands on a new. Um, creative entity. When he gets his right. hands into something new, the new Avengers stuff coming out of Avengers Disassembled was great. Yeah, it was amazing. It was different. It was bringing the Avengers back to their roots, which is like we're gonna throw our biggest heroes at you in one book, plus Luke Cage. You know, hey, he made Luke Cage work. He made Luke Cage work. He made Spider Woman work. He yeah. created this generation's Avengers, and it was <clears throat> they were great. Um, House of M was great. Yeah. I mean, I think we've both gone back and read it in the past year and didn't realize how great we thought it yeah, was. it was much better. Back. Um, so he does tend to do good arcs. And he has a good, he has a lot of good ideas. Well, I think the, I think the consensus you and I came to was just that he had been on Avengers a little bit too long. Yeah. It had been almost a decade and he was starting to kind of come back in on himself a little bit. Right. He kind of done everything he could do with it. There was a lot of just characters talking to themselves going on yeah. in the books. And <clears throat> well, he was in charge of several events, and he was kind of, you know, Marvel's, yeah. Marvel's head honcho for a little while there. Yeah. Unofficially. So I think it'll be good for him to get his hands on some new characters who really are in a place that is very similar to where the Avengers were after Avengers right. assembled. The X-Men don't know who they are at this point. Right. I mean... You know, post ABX, who are the X Men? I mean, really, like you've got Wolverine's school, which is having problems on its own. Right. Um, the Uncanny Avengers, which we yeah, both liked. Uncanny Avengers, which we both read and liked, we're kind of still on a wait and see. We trust Remender to do. Well, it's the number one. It was a set right. issue, but it was good. Um, so with this one, I think it's got great potential. Um, Stuart Eminent is does some great pencils in this book. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen so far, um, it's it just fits. It's one of those... It's, it's very it's, clean, but it's also very expressive. Right. It's not making the book, but it's definitely not hurting it. Yeah. So, I think this one will be worth at least giving a shot. So, next up, we've got Cap- New Captain America, number one, written by 
Rick Remender. Your favorite. One of my favorites. Him, um, and drawn by... Um, John Romita Jr. John Romita. Not your favorite. Who is not either one of our favorites, because <laughs> his work on AVX was atrocious. It actually looks pretty good to me here. Yeah, you know, the whole... It, there's some time travel... Remender loves time travel. Yes, he does. Marvel loves time travel right now, but Remender especially. So there's a time... I'm not 100% sure about the plot here, because I know... I didn't, didn't really want to pick it up. Yeah. Um, I like Captain America in The Avengers... Wasn't crazy about reading a solo book with, 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 again. I read the Bucky story arc and was kind of disappointed when they brought Steve back so soon. I liked Bucky. Um, but yeah, this, this, this is an interesting plot. I know he's going back in time. We've seen some previews where his bearded Captain America, um, yeah. some interaction with Captain America before he's Captain America. Yeah. So what do you think? Are you picking it up? Um, I'm not picking it up in the issues. I might pick up a trade. On this one. Um, the reason I'm not picking it up is um, simply that I'm usually not a huge fan of World War II stuff. Mm. And that's kind of where this book is going, back to World War II. He's kind of doing some villain building with Arnim Zola, making him an alpha-level villain, or an A-lister, yeah. I think is what he said. Um, and that, that's all well and good, and... You know, I say that, I, and Manhattan Project is my favorite book going on. Right yeah, now. I kind of think you'd... I didn't think I would like that. Mad Scientist Robot Guy. Well, I didn't think I would like that either, but Hickman was on it, and Image was doing that free number ones right. deal on the digital uh, comics, so I checked it out and read it. It was like, this is awesome. I mean, Oppenheimer is eating brains. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, this is great. Einstein's an alcoholic. This is just... it's. You know, Frank, Franklin Roosevelt is an artificial intelligence. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy cool, but I, I don't get that impression from this book. I think this really is a classic cat story, and this is kind of bringing new readers into this character of Captain America. Well, again, I think Marvel wants to have new yeah. number ones accessible to, for fans that saw the Avengers and were like, holy crap, this is awesome. And I, and that's fine, and that's great, and I don't want to, like, down-talk that, Um because obviously I'm a Remender fan, so right. I'm sure it's going to be well written. Um, but this is one of those, it's not, I don't think I'm the target audience on this book. Yeah, I will say that Remender's pencils, uh, not Remender, uh, Remender's pencils look much better. Much here. better. And, and whoever's doing his inking is yeah, also helping her out a lot. It's really helping the cause. There's this whole green skull <laughs> thing going on, which is kind of cool. I don't think it's going to be a major plot line. No. It looks like this is just like a generic... World War II villain for Cat to take out. <laughs> um, but this next book um, is Indestructible Hulk number one, which is Mark Wade, with, who's Lin currently Lin writing Daredevil, right? Which pencils by Lin Yu. Mm -hmm. And there's not much of a preview to this one. No, I was actually, um, despite my excitement for the book overall, I love Mark, Mark Wade. Uh, yes, he's doing Daredevil, which is great, but I also really enjoy his uh, blog. He's got free digital comics up every week. Thrillbent is it's thrillbent.com, and he's kind of he sold his personal collection of comics to go experiment with the digital media, and I've really really enjoyed it. That's where I have kind of fallen in love with Mark Wade's work, even more so than Daredevil, yeah. which is a character I immensely enjoy. Um, <clears throat> but this is this is a Hulk. It's a little different. Coming out of Jason Aaron's run, where Banner and Hulk were split, 
they're kind of formed back together again, but they're both working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So we have weaponized Hulk. Right, which I think is great. <laughs> it's exactly um, what they've been trying right, to avoid. And, you know, I... Well, the reason I'm excited about this book, um, which we don't know a whole lot about, because Mark Wade's, Wade hasn't been as forthcoming with the details no. of this book as, as people <clears throat> have with some of the others. But... Um, the reason I mentioned, first of all, I'm a Hulk fan. Right. I Hulk is one of my favorite characters because he's not a superhero. It's just a force of nature. Like, Hulk is the nuclear option. Right. You know, in the Marvel Universe. You know, we saw that in ABX, where basically Captain America is a Latin flatfish ever to beat Cyclops. Even though he already had two Hulks. Well, they're not enough. He needs, the, he needs, he needs Bruce Banner. <laughs> um, but, um... But you as you as an excellent artist, um, I liked. He was the only thing I liked about Secret Invasion. Yeah. Uh, despite me loving scrolls and cosmic stuff in general, uh, but another thing that's notable here is yeah, they're bringing Hulk and Banner into Shield, but they're also bringing Phil Coulson into Shield full time here. Um, you know, who who kind of got his fame in the Avengers movie? Right. And kind of making him. <laughs> I guess a partner to Maria Hill or a supervisor. There's another good character really that sure. needs some more. Right. And sure. what I really like is the science, just the science angle that they're taking with this. One of the few things we do know about this is that they're bringing Bruce Banner in to be the brilliant scientist he is. And when Hulk shows up or when Bruce <laughs> starts Hulk out, they point him at his ass. Right. right. They <laughs> Whatever they need to be Hulked out on. And that's cool. Um, so it's got you know, the crazy smashing and all, but I think it's getting back to that kind of weird science fiction side of Hulk. And The only, only misstep, I think, so far on that series, I'm not sure whose idea this was, is Hulk in armor. I don't mind the armor well, pants. That's that's okay, because, you know, then he doesn't have to rip right. them any time. But there's been a couple of other previews where he's got, like, full-on battle right. armor. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of wait and see on that one, because... I know Mark Wade is a good writer, so there's probably a good reason for this. Like, you know, maybe this is some kind of containment unit that... I'm that sure there is. I'm just not deal. crazy about the look. I know. And However, a look I, I am a fan of is the new Thor costume. Oh, yeah. Uh, the new Thor costume in Thor God of Thunder um, <clears throat> looks good. This one's by uh, Jason Aaron writing. He's from Alabama, which is where we're from. Which is so very cool. That's cool. So we are um, mandatory Aaron, fans. You should do an interview with us. Current <laughs> Alabama folks some some love. Um, yeah, come on the show. We'll we'll talk all kinds of good stuff about your book. Um, but this I've never actually heard of. Which this. we're actually genuinely excited about. Yeah, but we're we we I'm a huge Thor fan. I love the Norse mythology stuff. I like the just it's not really Norse mythology. It's actually galactic level stuff. Yeah. But it seems like Jason Aaron is really getting back into the mythology of Thor with this book. Yeah, very Which much. I think it's good. Um, so the the plot is is going to center around three different things, which is always kind of weird, but I think it's going to work. We got Thor in the present, kind of being a superhero. We got Thor in the past, going on all these different adventures. And then we've got Thor in the future kind of ruling over right. Asgard. And we've seen some previews of that, and he looks very much like Odin. Yeah. You know, he's lost an eye, he's lost an arm. The Destroyer's arm is actually his right. battle armor that he uses and for his arm, and that's, that's kind of cool. But um, I think the... Uh, 
But what, conne- the, the, what connects all three of those right. is the the story of him tracking down something called the God Butcher. Yeah, and that's some character who apparently is capable of killing gods. And we see that <laughs> Efficiently and brutally. Right, and we see this preview where he's tr- investigating this world that doesn't have gods, and it looks like present tense Thor yeah. here. And he basically finds a room full of dead gods hanging off of um, Dead Prometheans from Prometheus. Or yeah, something. hanging off of hanging off of hooks, and so there's kind of like just a mythic level horror, horror and investigation going on, and Thor <clears throat> trying to basically figure out what's 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 <laughs> killing gods. Sherlock, Sherlock Thor. One thing I definitely can say about the is that the art is phenomenal. Yeah. So going back to your your statement earlier about sometimes the art breaking the book here, it is. I'm not saying that the story couldn't stand on its own, but here it is perfectly complementing the book. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a painting, detailed style, uh, uh, and I'm really digging it. And who's the artist? Is Saad Ribic? I think he's done mostly covers up yeah. until now, and I think he did a little bit of Matt, with Matt Fraction on Thor okay. last and, summer. Yeah, and the colorist is Dean White, who's done a lot of the colors for Uncanny X-Force, and Dean, Dean is just fantastic. Um, has done a lot of really good work on every everything I've seen in color. Picks really good palettes. Um, everything look like Alex said looks painted. Uh, it's very reminiscent of something Alex Ross would have done. Yeah, um, but not quite as picturesque. Not quite, little, not as picturesque. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of <clears throat> somewhere in that happy medium between comic book typical medium. comic book art and high art. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah. Um, so less so. Less so is Deadpool number one, which is drawn by Tony Moore, who did is famous for co-creating The Walking Dead and right. drawing six issues <laughs> before disappearing and suing everybody and suing everyone and, and him being sued. Um, I haven't followed that situation too closely. I know there were lawsuits. Yeah, I think they settled, but <clears throat> they still don't like each other. Yeah. However, I enjoyed his stuff on Walking Dead. Yeah. That said, it was very um, good. The this one's being written by. Hosen and Duggan. I don't know anything about them, except that they both apparently were former comedians. Um, this just looks like a Deadpool book to me. Yeah, you know, I, despite what I said earlier about Reminder making me like Deadpool, I don't typically like Deadpool. Yeah, and, this is, uh, this and here, despite some some comedic reaction uh, interaction with Thor in this preview here, I, I, I'm not picking it up. Yeah, it's isn't doing it for me. I mean, <coughs> this book seems to me to be written. For Deadpool fans who yeah. will riot if there's not a Deadpool book going on. <laughs> but we'll note that he's working for S.H.I.E.L.D., um, fighting zombie ex-presidents and giant um, monsters in New yes. York. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's full-on crazy zany action. If you're into ridiculous, crazy comic stuff, I mean, Deadpool might be for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure the book will do well. It seems solid. It's just not something I'm going to be picking No, up. I'm just, you know... I don't typically like Deadpool comics. Yeah. Um, I feel like I graduated from eighth grade. And I don't need to go back. <laughs> that's a little harsh. It is a little harsh, but that's how I feel about Deadpool. It's like, it's dick and fart jokes. If you want, I mean, if and you, if want you like that, jokes, then they're, they're for you. Um, it's something from everybody. Yes. This book is the complete opposite. Um, one of the weirder um, <clears throat> previews in this book because it's not even fully inked yet. Yeah, it's it's all pencils. It's all pencils. It's the X-Men Legacy book by Simon Spurrier, who I admittedly don't know a whole lot about, and artist Tanning Huat. 
Uh, out of all the books that have been announced for Marvel now so far, this is the one I know the least about. Yeah. But from the characters to the creative team, all of it, I don't really know much about it. Yeah, I know a little bit about this book, and what I <coughs> what I do know is that basically this is Legion, who is Charles Xavier's son, who is a schizophrenic Omega level mutant with different powers for every personality. Right. Um. His, his, Which sounds fun. It sounds fun, and he's created in the 80s, has very 80s hair still, yep. <laughs> and pretty much shows up in X-Books to cause havoc. Um, he was kind of responsible for the whole Age of Apocalypse thing in the 90s. And here he's really trying to um, live up to his father's legacy. Like, apparently he's kind of got his stuff together as much as, like, the multiple personality. Does. Right. And he is trying to take on the, the role of Xavier and walk that path and shelter new mutants. And I don't know how much he's going to be interacting with um, the other X-Men proper. They had some things going on at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning in the previews where Kitty Pride shows up and some of the students are around. And... Um, it's, it looks like something that could be interesting, but it's one of the books that I just don't know enough to add it to my full list right, right. second. Wait um, to see kind of thing. I'm not, I mean, right now, out of this whole bunch, I think the only things I'm absolutely sold on buying are Uncanny Avengers, which is, is already out. Right. Um, <laughs> and is good. Um, Hulk, the Hulk Moon, Struck the Hulk book, the Thor book. And um, new X Men book. Yeah, and likewise, we haven't. They're not in this preview book, so we're not going to talk too in depth about them. But I'm definitely picking up Jonathan Hickman's two Avengers. Yes, books. we. I think we're. <clears throat> I think we will definitely both be reading those, just because it's Hickman, right? And it's Avengers. And uh, another book, two books. I'm kind of on the fence about at the moment. Um, I'm a big Cosmic Marvel fan, so I'm curious to see what Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis do with Nova. I'm still mad. I have no idea what they're doing with Richard Ryder, even though he's supposedly locked in the Cancerverse with Thanos and Star-Lord. Speaking of which, Star-Lord is back in a Guardians of the Galaxy book written by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, I'm on Bendis. (laughs) I'm a little off the fence about it. I'm not a huge Bendis fan. However, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, and the gang are all coming back, so I'm definitely going to be picking up the first issue. Yeah. Um, and I, and I actually really like what I've seen of Hickman's take on the Avengers so far. Yeah. Um, if it's anything like his other work, it will be out there, but a lot of fun and very complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's kind of what Hickman does, is that he's got, he likes big teams and lots of motives and... Dark sides and <laughs> it's. I think I think it's going to be very solid. We've got him doing Aven- the Avengers proper, uh, which is going to be the biggest roster we've had in the book in a while. Yeah, twenty four plus characters. And then we're having new Avengers, which is kind of like a team of Illuminati characters, worldly uh, Avengers as he calls them, um, dealing with some some different kind of threats. I think both of those will be very good. Okay. Um, so that wraps it up for our Marvel Now preview for this episode. We'll probably have some more for you next time. Uh, now we're going to leave you with our fun little experiment, uh, our Avengers draft. Uh, just be aware going in, we recorded the Avengers draft before Uncanny Avengers 
was uh, was published. So keep that in mind. Uh, we've just kind of taken all of our best ideas for Avengers and um, and gone at it. All right. You want to say anything else about it, Phil? I uh, know. We'll see you on the other side of the break. All right. Thanks. Welcome to uh, our first Avengers draft. We're kind of doing this in honor of the upcoming Uncanny Avengers book in Marvel now. Uh, Phil is a hardcore X-Men fan, so I'm sure his draft will be a little more interesting than mine. Um, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit uh, about what we're doing. Okay, so I've seen these Avengers drafts popping up all over the internet um, in various forums, and some people treat it like a fantasy football league where you get points and you can draft people from the Marvel Universe and, um, you know, people who are more powerful will cost you more, things like that, and then they have various ways of scoring. Uh, we're not really interested in doing any of that. What we're doing today is we're going to draft our own Avengers teams um, in honor of Uncanny Avengers, the upcoming uh, story from Rick Reminder. Um, we are going to draft teams that are half mutant, half non-mutant. Um, are these exact halves? No, not exactly. Okay. Okay, so uh, the way this works is that we're going to take turns picking a character from the Marvel Universe. And there are a couple of rules here. First of all, we get a team of seven people. Okay. Um, second of all, three of those, since this is a Mutants and Avengers draft, three of those characters have to be mutants. Three. Um, and once we get done drafting our teams, we have to draft the villain for our story. Uh, and then you get to draft three wild cards. Now, these wild cards can be characters that aren't necessarily on the team, but may play a part in the story. For example, uh, that one time Damon Hellstrom shows up in the new Avengers arc, uh, Doctor Strange, um, and he plays a big part, but does he join the new Avengers? No. Okay? Right. Gotcha. So, and the fun part about this is that not only do we get to construct a really cool Avengers team, uh, we also have to come up with some reason why these people are getting together. In other words, what the fuck are these people doing together? <laughs> All right. So like a first issue kind of thing. Yeah, so... When we get done with the draft, we'll try and come up with some reason why these pe- why these people are getting together. Why are they fighting this villain? How? What are some things that might happen in our story arc? Um, so basically, we get to play writer uh, for about ten minutes, and uh, hopefully it'll be fun. It could just be stupid, but yeah, yeah, well, it'll, it'll be fun. What's what's podcasting for? It's not for a little stupidity, right? Right, exactly. So how, who goes first? Um, we pre-chose uh, who was going to go first before the podcast, and it looks like, Alex, you are going first. All right. Well, um, first choice is easy for me. O- only mutant that is one of the best Avengers of all time as well. Taking Beast. Okay. Uh, for my first pick, I wanted to go with an X-Man as well. Um, and I wanted to go with a character that hasn't really, um, in my opinion at least, um, gotten to step out on her own and have her have her own kind of uh, personality in a series outside of the X-Men. So I'm going to pull Shadowcat, Kitty Pride. You mean for except that time she was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and was a ninja? And okay, shut up. Stuff. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, she's never been an Avenger. She's typically treated as one of the least aggressive mutants that they have, even though she's actually 
kind of like a Wolverine level ninja and all of that kind of stuff. But um, I think it'd be interesting to make her an Avenger. Um, also, she's been one of the few mutants that's really kind of not gone over to the dark side during <laughs> this whole AVX fiasco, which we'll be discussing in another segment. Um, so I think she would make a fantastic Avenger. I had to put a time limit on your, your picks here. Shut up. No, we're not. I can just talk all I want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think um, in light of all the Summers Brothers insanity going on, uh, I know Havoc's technically already on Remender's team, but assuming, you know, that that wildly popular writer um, is for some reason not at Marvel anymore and, and they gave me the job, I'm still going to take Havoc. Um, guy's seen a lot of action. He's a Summers brother that gets overlooked a little bit. Um, and he's got an interesting power set that's borderline heavy hitter. Um, and he's got a little bit of leader, leadership potential from his time with the Star Jammers. And, you know, I'm all about that space stuff. Yeah, and I, re- I really like that Havoc pick. I thought um, Brubaker actually did a really good job with him in Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Um, he's gotten a little bit of a comeback in X-Factor now, but I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, him becoming an Avenger will give him a chance to not be Scott's little brother. Yeah. Um, or less, less little brother than yeah, Iceman. Definitely. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that when we review ABX <laughs> as well. Um, so for my second pick, for Phil's second pick, I'm picking one of my all-time favorite X-Men, and this this character really, really has never had a good home in the X-Men. Um, she's kind of been always been that weird character. In fact, they went so far as to basically replace her with Hope Summers, <laughs> in my opinion. So I'm taking the second Marvel girl, Rachel Gray, um, who, you know, what she brings to the team, she's a telepath. She's, in some versions of the X-Books, been telekinetic. In some versions of the book, she's had the Phoenix Force, and others she hasn't. Um, but she only has the Phoenix Force when they don't need to have yeah. something else. But I'm taking her, and I am treating her like the Omega-level mutant that she's always been supposed to be. And she's going to be a badass. We're talking Jean Grey-level awesome. Yeah, Marvel has a way of uh, making some high-level redheads and then kind of throwing them to the screen. Right, I mean, you know... I mean, they killed off four Madeline Pryor clones <laughs> in one of the Uncanny X-Men's this year. But I digress. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, of clones, uh, I think, I'm think i thinking X-23 deserves a spot on the team. She's been doing some stuff with Avengers Academy, um, and she was one of the only female characters carrying a Marvel book for a long period of time. Uh, and then Marvel just kind of unceremoniously canceled it. Uh, which is a shame because it was actually pretty good. Uh, character deserves a little more face time, deserves a little bit of time with a legitimate hero team that doesn't treat her like a, uh, like a secret weapon. Right. As X-Force and X-Men have done so in the past. So I'm gonna take X-23. Yeah, she's a great character and I, I really felt like that whole entire new, new X-Men correct crew kind of got the shaft a couple of years ago when they decided they were gonna do the New Mutants book with the old New Mutants and, um, so, yeah, it'd be good to see that character getting a spotlight in Marvel a little bit. Um, for my third pick, um, I am going with um, well, a character who, who would fit the classic mold of a villain becoming an Avenger. You know, Hawkeye did it, Scarlet Witch did it, Quicksilver did it. Um, and now Magneto's going to do it. <laughs> um, so I think that that'd be, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think he's going to have a Pretty good dynamic with some of the other picks I might get. Um, and, I mean, he's he's fucking Magneto. I mean... 
Assuming he makes it out of ABX. Assuming he makes it out of ABX, we might have to redo this entire thing after issue 12 if they kill Magneto, which I'm going to be kind of upset about because it seems like they just finally got him back to being an interesting character. Um, I don't think they'd kill him so much that they might neuter him a little bit. Or well, that'd be okay with Make me. him a villain right. again, or who knows. Right. Well, I mean, we'll see. Actually, I think if anybody's a new Magneto, it's Cyclops, so... Yeah, it seems that way. And the new Phoenix Gene Magneto... Xavier yeah, he's kind of become every X-Men bad guy all rolled up into one. A little bit, a little bit. All right. Um, all right, so I've got I've got my three mutants. Let's uh, let's branch out a little bit here. Um, another young Avenger, another one involved uh, with kind of the younger generation, uh, lesser known, lesser appreciated these days. I'm gonna take the Vision. Um, cool robot guy, married the Scarlet Witch, kind of, sort of had kids, maybe, sort of. I don't know how that all went. I think down. they're actually back out there now. The Children's Crusade, Wiccan. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't yeah. read that. Well, anyway, uh, he, he's an interesting character that uh, has kind of been away from comics for a while, and I've been just brought him back. I know he did some stuff in Young Avengers. Uh, I'm going to grab him. Uh, he and Beast can play off each other fairly well, I think. Uh, he's a classic Avenger to kind of tie everything together. Yeah, he does kind of give your team a little bit of power. Oh, yeah. Um, so, with my next pick, speaking of power, I just decided to go off off script. Just, I'm grabbing the Hulk. Um, the exactly only classic Avenger chosen so far. No, yeah, the only classic Avenger chosen so far. Well, will not be the last, hopefully. Um, but yeah, the Hulk. I mean, he's just he's a big badass, and he's an awesome. He had, on his good days, he's also a really great scientist. And um, yeah, I want him because frankly, I just don't want Alex to get him. <laughs> yeah, I do like the Hulk. I'm looking forward to the Mark Wade run. Yeah, definitely coming up. Definitely, it's going to be interesting to see him trying to work for Shield if that's indeed what they're doing with that. Seems like. I mean, they gave him armor and a robot. Right, and Maria Hill. Yeah, so he's got Kobe Smolders with him there. Uh, all right. Um, well, you got Magneto. Let's uh, let's grab Quicksilver. Um. He's been an Avenger. He's been an X-Men. Well, not been an X-Men, has he? He's been he's, Brotherhood and kind of sort of an X-Person. He's, it's not even really sure if he if he's a mutant <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, he was an Inhuman for a while with right. a carriage of mist, mist. And then uh, he had some time travel powers. And I'm not really sure where he is, but I, I would like to see classic Quicksilver back on an X-Men team. I know he was in Avengers Academy for a bit. I have not finished that book. I've only read the first volume and a, and a half. Um, but he's an interesting character with an interesting background and ties to both the mutant and Avengers world. Um, that kind of fits what I'm kind of thinking I'm gonna I, what I'm gonna do with this. Okay, um, it's funny that you just picked Quicksilver because with my next pick, uh, I wanted to kind of give Magneto a little bit of depth with this with this team. Um, so I think I'm going with Scarlet Witch. Um, she's already on the Uncanny Avengers team. Um, yeah, we got Havoc and Scarlet. Yeah, exactly. With her, with uh, well, I mean, Remender knows how to pick interesting characters True. that are going that uh, work really well. I mean, uh, so Scarlet Witch, I think having her on a team with her father, who kind of by being Magneto set her down the path that led to, to MJ. Destroy everybody, right? Which <laughs> has uh, supposedly 
Day is the catalyst for everything that's happened in the last ten years in Marvel. Well, it's all been written. So. It's all been written. Uh, ABX is supposedly the culmination of those events, although I'm a little skeptical that... Have anything to do with it. <laughs> right. I'm a little skeptical that a Phoenix Power is it about Hope Summers or something? Right, right. But no, it's about the Scarlet Witch and Indy. It's very confusing. But um, <laughs> anyway, I'm taking Scarlet Witch. We're going to have her paired with her, her dad. Um, should be lots of good family drama there. And that's what I'm doing. Not sure if our teams would love each other or hate each other. Um, I think at various points they've probably done both. <laughs> All right. Uh, I need another heavy hitter. Um, a little low on firepower here. Um, I'm not, has Carol Danvers been in any of the, new, the Marvel Now solicits? Um, her book, Captain Marvel's not going to keep going. I think they are going to continue her book, and I'm pretty sure that she's she is an Avenger. She's a Hickman Avenger. She's a Hickman Avenger? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I like Hickman. That's a good choice on his. Finally, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Captain Marvel, Carol, Carol Danvers. Okay. Uh, glad to see her coming to her own. One of the Marvel's few female characters that really uh, stands out. Yes, yeah, she's derivative of, of a male hero before, much like She-Hulk or Red She-Hulk or um, any of the other ones that are just female versions of a man character. But she's got a little more depth, I think. Um, and Marvel's finally, hopefully, got somebody that can keep the Captain Marvel name for a while. Instead of publishing a brand new version of the character every six months or so, um, her book's been pretty good so far. I'm, I'm gonna grab her. Yeah. Well, she's been she's really fit the Captain Marvel role in the Marvel universe for you know the better part of the last decade. Yeah. I mean, I really think this is just a natural evolution for her character to just take on the name and and be her character. Um, for my pick, I'm going to dip into the new Avengers. Um, run over the last couple of years, and I'm taking Luke Cage. Um, good character. Good character. Um, I haven't seen him in any of the Marvel Now solicits, so I'm a little worried. He's been really absent. He's been very conspicuously absent. Um, I'm kind of wondering if Bendis just has had his fun with Luke Cage, made him an awesome character, and now he doesn't want anybody to get to use him again. <laughs> I don't know. But I would want to have him on, on this team. Interesting. So we got another... Uh Kind of the new school there. Um, let's see. Why one left? Uh, so I have no idea. Speaking of summers, I have no idea what's going on with Hope. She was in one of the A plus X. Yeah, she's like on a jetpack or something. Right. So I don't think she's gone. That gives us about as much information as that weird Joe Casada thing. With yeah. X face Cyclops. Yes. And Herbie. Um, I'm gonna take Hope. I'm not super familiar with the character. It's actually one of the things I was excited about AVX, was to learn a bit about him, about her. Uh, I know she's got some rogue-like powers and some cable-like guns, uh, and Cyclops is kind of mean to her. Um, but she, I, for an event that was supposed to be all about her, AVX has had her in, like, three issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, she did get to, like, do the whole... Kung Fu magic punch, punch thing. thing. Yeah, that was... Yeah. That was special. Um, and she, like... Burnt Wolverine to a crisp and then right. gave him beer while he was dressed as a polar bear and flew a right. rocket to the moon. But And then was not the Phoenix. And then, yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then just kind of, like, that, that whole issue, it was her narrating it. Yeah. And then she didn't, nothing happened. Yeah, to me, she seems like she's really just been a blank slate in a lot of the X books. She's, and, you know, I feel like the X books, with a few exceptions, Storm and Psylocke being 
two of the more notable ones. With, with those two exceptions, the Xbox have not done a very good job of giving their women um, personalities. <laughs> At least ones that are consistent from book to book. At least ones that are named Rogue. Well, well Rogue, has, my Rogue, Rogue hasn't really like, had a consistent personality either. She's yeah, well, we'll get into the Rogue hate later. Okay. Not a fan. Uh, um, so that's your last pick. My last pick, I really... Um, I kind of struggled with this one for a little bit because I did not want to just take a standard Avenger. But yeah, Hulk. I do have Hulk. But, and so I didn't want to take another standard Avenger. I wanted to reach. But... Um, I think it'd be really interesting to look at this character, um, especially given the story arc I'm thinking, I'm thinking about doing. So I'm going to use Iron Man, um, and that'll probably make a little bit more sense when we actually get to my villain. Okay. Always a good pick for Avengers. He's kind of been all over the place. Should be fun to see him hanging out with Magneto. Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> like the whole, Mag- I'm thinking of like a, the fastball special. But with magnetic powers, like so. Well, no, but the Iron Man repulsor. is like magnet proof. Oh. Did you read A versus X? When yeah. Magneto lost to Iron Man. Whatever. I'm right. If I'm gonna write the character, magnet. he's not magnet proof. Magneto could throw his ass anywhere. No, Ma- I think to to try to beat him, Magneto made like his own Iron Man suit out of a satellite to try to go in a punch fest with him, and it. And then, like, gave up. Yeah, there's, there's probably a reason that book has not gotten good reviews. <laughs> and I feel like that's I mean, one of them. I mean, the narration was kind of like a Stan Lee ad- adjective super fest of fun. You know, like, uh, I can't remember any of the stuff now. But the first issue was fun, and then it just got a little silly. Well, I want to see the Iron Man Magneto Fastball special. <laughs> um, so it's going to be awesome. And then Hulk can throw Blue Cage. Right. Well, what's going to happen is Hulk... <laughs> And Marvel Girl can throw somebody. Right, right. And Shadowcat's just going to, like, did, you know, not be able, able to be thrown because she's just going to go intangible. Yeah. <laughs> she's just going to... Damn it, I picked her because she was supposed to, like, actually come out and be, like, a badass. And then I pick a whole bunch of guns and just, like, completely over <laughs> overpower. <laughs> completely oh, overpowered. Oh, well, it'll be okay. Uh, so, I need to pick a villain. You need to pick a villain. All right, how much detail am I going into here? I've got, um, I've got a couple well, of thoughts. Well, we've been going on for about... We can, oh, my God. <laughs> we can go... We can. We might as well just go ahead and, and go into a little bit of detail. All right, so um, there's a couple I've been, I've been mulling over as we've been sitting here talking. Uh, since I knew we were doing this, we're going over great Avengers villains um, and great X-Men villains and kind of how I could meld the two. Uh, then I'm going to go with Ultron. Um, not sure where he stands in the Marvel U right now. I know... Uh, Bendis was kind of setting him up for this big time war with Kang. Yeah. And they had that big fight in the first volume. Um, but I really liked him in Guardians of the Galaxy, Nova, uh, Annihilation Conquest. was a really interesting book. Um, and he was the central villain of that with the Phalanx. Here, I think I'm going to have him do something with the Sentinels. Um, kind of pair him up with the big, uh, big robotic... Mutant enemy. So, like, compare the big robot bads from both the Avengers and the X-Men Absolutely. Um, got a couple of ideas there, um, why he might be more interested in the mutants than he's previously been. He's always been kind of um, indifferent to organic life, but what about organic life that's changing and evolving like he seemed to be interested in with the phalanx? Evolving non-organic life to its next level with, with that little... Uh, story arc there. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with Ultron, 
And he's definitely going to keep his bright red cape he had when he was in space. Well, you'll have plenty of stuff to, to kind of work with with the vision connection. Yeah, absolutely. There. There's huge, yeah, huge interconnection there. That's a, that's a good one. Um, for my villain, I really wanted to um, take a classic X-Men villain and mix it with what appears to be the, the new big mutant villain in the universe. So I am bringing back the Hellfire Club. And not the little kid <laughs> Hellfire Club from Wolverine and, and the X-Men. I think that's ridiculous. Um, that's, I mean, I'm, I know Jason Aaron is having a lot of fun with it, and from everything I've read, it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. But I want to bring back the classic Hellfire Club with the Black Queen and the White Queen and all of that stuff. But I'm going to have Cyclops as the new leader. So Cyclops... Depending on what happens in, you know, ABX number 12. Um, well, I imagine it's going to be kind of like Iron Man did in Civil right. War when, you know, everybody hates Iron right. Man for a year. Everybody's going to hate Cyclops for Right, a year. and that's kind of what I'm thinking is that I want Iron Man on this team because he's been through kind of what Cyclops is going through. The big difference is that whereas I feel like Iron Man, even at his worst, was just misguided. Mm-hmm. Cyclops has gone from misguided to full-on supervillain, killing Professor X and hates everyone now. And being the crap out of Emma Frost. Um, you know, so I would I would love to see him as, an, as a big ex-villain, and I would love to see Magneto on the team as a good guy fighting him. Totally flipping it. I like that. Totally flipping it. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Comics Critique. Uh, we hope to do this uh, at least every couple of weeks, if not every month, yeah. um, as, as comics come out. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Why are we disconnecting? Why are we disconnecting? I've seen the world through my screen. I've traveled it with my fingers. There's no need to touch or feel Cause nothing here is real You may be tall, I may be short But that's just reality I am as I want to be And that's virtuality Why the disconnecting? Next to me, I don't care. Look, don't you touch your presence here. Just the fact is, to me, it don't mean much. Face to face is not my thing, it's a matter of perspective. I'm so hip, I don't need you here with me to be Disconnected.
Talk to you. I'm looking to the world I'm wired. 